0: Welcome to the Joy of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James Taylor. On this podcast, we explore the passion and purpose of leadership. Join us to explore lessons in leadership that demonstrate how you can live in the center of God's will. Okay, it is my privilege to have Dr. Aaron Howard on the show today. Good to have you here, brother.
1: Glad to be here, sir. Thank we, you for having
0: me. We feel like you're like a part of the family here after yes, after coming in for professional development last January. And then, man, did you make a splash at graduation? I've had more positive feedback from from your your speaking at graduation. It was just phenomenal.
1: Wow, wow! So glad to hear that. Yeah. Praise God.
0: Pretty great. So we're we're excited about you coming through the school again and in our culture series, and just making it just making a huge impact on our students and on our staff. Um, I would love to to just. Let the audience will kind of, sometimes I go purely chronological. I'm going to kind of skip around just a little bit today. Uh, I'd love for you to just kind of explain to the audience a little bit about your current ministry and uh, and what you're doing. You're serving at Lipscomb University. You've got a teaching load there. You're doing some massive work with a choir uh, where you've even gone viral several times. <laughs> yes, so uh, so ch- chat a little bit about this. Tell us a little bit about what God's doing there.
1: Yes, I'm professor of, so my title is Professor of Ethics and Reconciliation, at Lipscomb University, but I have a dual appointment in the College of Bible and Ministry and in the College of Entertainment and Arts. So in the College of Entertainment and Arts, I teach um, multicultural worship, but I also um, direct and lead the gospel choir. And then in the College of Bible and Ministry, I teach classes in graduate ethics and then undergraduate ethics. I teach classes in Christian ethics because my PhD is in ethics and society from Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. And so since I've been there, um, God has just been showing up in amazing ways. um, At Lipscomb, we have kids there that I mean, you have college kids that are always, you know, you have college kids that are into whatever they're into. But um, God has blessed me to be around a particular group of kids that are really hungry for him, really desirous of growing in the Lord and being discipled and seeking his face. And so the choir is a forum for that where we draw closer to one another as a family, but we're also drawing closer to God. And so I think the virality of what people are seeing um, really is just us filming our rehearsals. And then coming out of those rehearsals, people are seeing something that, that really I think is supernatural, which is the love of Christ being shed in our hearts from one to another, but also they experience um, a touch of heaven. They experience mm-hmm. God's grace on our unity because we're a multicultural group. Right, and I think that's that's something that's intriguing to people.
0: Is there a lot of crossover between the students who are in your 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 chorus and in and in your classes? Is there a lot of crossover
1: there? Not not a lot. Um, I'll have maybe. One or two or three in each class that are also in the choir. Okay. Yeah, so not, not a lot of crossover. Are
0: you performing with that group a lot around the South? Or are you performing all over the – I know you guys performed at the CESA conference because i yep. was at it when you yeah. guys Oh, you that. were there. Oh, yeah yeah fantastic that was actually really before we even knew each other so yes sir uh, but i was i was taking it then uh are, are, do you guys have that chance to be able to perform with the students
1: oh yeah we we we, we keep a pretty rigorous schedule and they would say too rigorous they'll say doc doc you're wearing us out you know <laughs> but we we probably sing about 12 times a semester okay dear, and, really. and yeah i mean so now Probably half of those are on campus. Okay. But we sing at churches, pretty uh, predominantly locally in the okay. uh, Nashville or the Franklin area or anywhere in you know Middle Tennessee. We go to Murfreesboro, which is about 35, 40 minutes um, southeast of Nashville. Okay. So we sing we sing around town, and but we also will go out of town. Like we just came back from um, Christian Academy Louisville. Okay. And Christian Academy Indiana. We did. Um, you know, Indiana is literally 15 minutes across the bridge. Right. So we did um, one school on one day, the other school on the other day, and revival broke out. No kidding. Literally at Christi- Yeah, uh, Christian Academy, Indiana. We had 30 kids to give their lives to Christ. No way. Yeah, and we had kids coming in. Um, we started at 930, and then kids started coming from lunch, and they weren't going to class. And so we had a full auditorium from about 11 o'clock on to the end of school. We left, and they stayed there, continued to pray for each other. We had middle schoolers in there kids literally laying hands on each other praying for each other crying breaking out I mean it was just phenomenal it was one of the most exciting but um really memorable times in ministry that I've had to Praise see those God. young people really going after God they were testifying to each other it was just like you're just watching this going like wow is this happening right now and um they didn't they, then the next week they had chapel every day and they I think it's tapered off a little bit but they're still having about 30 kids just get together just to go into the auditorium and pray and just um worship and seek god even now so this Praise happened october 11th through 13th around there and yeah still going on
0: we'd love to have that band traveling to Decula, georgia
1: hey man we'd love to come out <laughs> we'll, we'll actually be at charlotte christian in um january okay uh we're, maybe we're,
0: we're, we can coordinate that yeah, that would yeah. be phenomenal we, you'll have to wear the kids out even more
1: yes there's a school yes yeah, so schools are inviting us in and things like that so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for us
0: now so, so you've got this very heavy load at Lipscomb. I mean, you're teaching a lot of classes, doing a lot of things, plus this side, this side with the gospel choir. Um, and yet you're still running the, the, your, your consulting firm yes, as sir. one. Yes. Uh, so walk us through that just a little bit. Explain, explain what that looks like to, to the audience.
1: Yeah, well, as one uh, came about in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, and I was working at Franklin Road Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, and I just realized that the body of Christ, um, especially Christian schools, needed a voice, um, to help them get toward unity and oneness. And I, and I was able to see that the world was not doing it and saying what needed to be said in the right way because it was coming from a secular perspective, using secular ideology, secular tools. Um, and, and a lot of times these tools and perspectives are godless. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get toward unity is um, if we wanted to do it in a way that's sustainable mm-hmm. and in a way that causes us to flourish, is to do it through the word of God and through uh, the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ who, who makes us one and the Holy spirit uh, uh, works that in our hearts and brings us together. And so I, I realized there needed to be a message um, lifting up that perspective. And so I started the um, started the business then and started with CISA, as you said, um, gave me a platform on their I think it's called their collaborative mm-hmm. series or something like that, collective. like their educational yep, series, their collective. Their collective yeah. Yep. And then from there, it's just been, you know, people invited me to speak and schools invited me in. So we've been consulting and speaking since then. And we've just seen phenomenal response um, from the message God has given us.
0: It's it's the clearest message of biblical unity that I've ever seen. And, and this is a, a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So I've I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of listening. It's, it literally is the clearest approach I've ever seen. My staff, after you, you spoke in January uh, with our PD the last academic year, uh, that was the the resounding echoing sentiment that that it was it's just the clearest presentation if you it, you can disagree with a person. You can't disagree with the word of God, That's right. you know, right. and, and I, and I love that. That's, that's really, that's really kind of the nail that you continued to hit, mm-hmm. you know, which was yes, beautiful. Sir. Are you seeing that have a, have a big impact in just Christian schools, churches? Are you getting opportunities even in corporations? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. My wife has kind of told me, she said, you need to take this message to corporations, but I'm so busy, uh, that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm put in so many different ways, but Christian schools has been kind of the sweet spot for me. That's kind of where my con, where I'm concentrating right now because I've, I've established a reputation amongst schools right now, and so they continue to reach out. and The need is great. Right. The need is great um, because kids are being formed in their understanding of the world and in their understanding of race. And if we don't teach them the biblical way, then the world's going to do that's it. Right. And they're going to be disordered in terms of how they view things and perceive the world. And so being able to speak to kids and speak to educators and administrative teams and heads of school, that's that's a great form that God has given me because I, I believe in Christian education mm-hmm. and I believe Christian schools are even more necessary now than they've ever been because Absolutely. the church is receding in terms of its prominence in the roles of families, right, so people don't go to church. we went to church probably growing up every single week, right. didn't right. really miss you know if you missed church, it was like it was something serious or uh you know it, it was unusual, right? right? We were going to some event or something like that that we couldn't miss or a graduation or something, but now. People um, don't attend church as regularly and youth don't go to youth group as regularly or as much. And so they're not being exposed to the gospel like they used to be or even Sunday school. So it's very important that we teach them how the Lord views culture and diversity and unity and how the Bible talks about it so that when they go to college, they will not be led astray by the persuasive secular accounts that they will be exposed to
0: we just we made that determination that that as a christian school you you mentioned this idea that that churches really there there's been a decline in attendance Mm -hmm. george barna published a a whole series of of articles about 10 or 11 years ago and in that in that series of articles he measured regular church attendances three out of four sundays a week or a month now he measures regular church attendance as one time a month wow that's regular now wow you know wow. and so you 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 see that change and and i i know that you have a passion for christian education you and i have talked about that countless times before man this is where I, I just I believe that this platform is providing such opportunities uh, for us to really preach the gospel to this mm-hmm. group and then thus really have that same impact on families as mm-hmm. well yes, and and so we've we 've made a determination here at our school uh, we surveyed the kids last year and we wanted to see like what are the biggest issues that, that we should be handling from a biblical perspective. So we started this culture series, which you 're speaker number two in. Uh, you know, and so we handled biblical worldview in our first session. We're covering biblical unity from, from a race perspective, uh, and then we're covering substance abuse, and then we're hitting sexuality. And so big subjects, a lot of these subjects, frankly, are not being handled by the church, right? And so if, if, if kids aren't hearing truth, then they're only going to believe the lies, that's right, and and that's where a powerful speaker like you stepping in and being able to proclaim this idea of biblical unity is so crucial because it replaces lies with a biblical truth, yes, you know, which yes, is so I crucial. Agree. All right, tell me a little bit about yeah. I know that you, you taught Bible right in in Nashville for a yes. while. Tell tell me a little bit about your passion for education, your your passion for Christian education. We we scratched the surface on it there just a little bit, but why are you so committed to this?
1: Well, I think um um one of the things that I studied or subjects that I studied as part of my graduate education was virtue ethics. And virtue ethics basically takes an approach to ethics that's not just merely deontological, which is rules-based, but it's not consequentialist, which basically says um, what makes an act moral or immoral um, is the outcome of the act or the consequences mm-hmm. of the act. But virtue ethics asks, what kind of person do I want to be? And what would a virtuous person do in this or that circumstance? It's kind of remember if you remember the what would Jesus do bracelets, right, right. that's kind of like a virtue ethics approach to when you ask that question, you're thinking like a virtue ethicist. What would an exemplar of virtue do in this, in this or that case? But virtue ethicists have talked about um virtue is really habit. Thomas Aquinas talked about that. It's really habit. Um it's it's when you think about someone that has good character or a person that's of of high moral virtue. they are someone that practices over and over again, acts of good character, Mm. or they habitually do things that are virtuous. And so when we're thinking about how to form children or how to form families and people into virtue, we're asking how do we help them gain the habits that when they're put into certain circumstances, they will choose what the Lord would want them to choose. They will be what Galatians five talks about. They will bear the fruit of the spirit. And so you are trained in virtue. It's not just a one time thing. Right. You, you have to walk alongside and disciple. That's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He was training them in virtue, training them to think like him, training him to act like him. And so that's what Christian schools do because we are um, because we have kids for eight hours a day. We are exposed to them and they're exposed to us in a sustained, consistent and regular type of way where we can imprint on them the virtues and the understanding of Christian character that we want them to emulate. And it's not just in moral behavior, but it's also in how they think. Right. Because Aristotle talks about intellectual virtue and Aquinas and like they talk about even the way that we think and the way that we pursue knowledge, that's also a virtue. And so we have to even do that in the right way, right, in a way that honors God. And so Christian schools do all of that. We teach them how to behave with each other, but we also teach them how to acquire knowledge and, you know, don't cheat when you when you study and make sure that you're diligent. Make sure that you are, um, you know, using all of the gifts God is giving you. Um, for your intellect and you and you're giving your intellect back to him right Mm -hmm. that's a part of being virtuous as well is i don't become prideful in it but i even use my intellect as something as a gift that god has given me that in turn is going to go back to him and glorify him so just the idea that christian schools cover all those bases in terms of how we kids and what you'll also see schools doing is they'll have a portrait of a graduate mm-hmm. that's like a virtue ethics opposed to saying at the end of the day what kind of student that's right do we want to leave this school um just that idea man that gets me excited that mm-hmm. gets me excited because that's i think is where the, that is where the success lies it doesn't lie in the one-off just kind of often the one-off conversations or even the one-off sermons as powerful as they are in terms of drawing people to Christ. But after people are drawn to Christ, they have to know how to walk like Jesus. That's and, right, And that's where I think schools uh, were leading the way.
0: And, and just from a sheer numeric perspective, we have them for eight hours a day. If they're playing sports, 10 hours a day, <laughs> exactly. maybe even 11 hours a day. And just from a sheer numbers perspective, we have that ability to really speak truth into the kids' lives yeah. uh, in, in in such a tangible way. And All I right. forgot
1: about sports too. I forgot about even on the field, we're teaching them what it means to even play sports in a way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to honor your opponent, um, not to demean your opponent, not to, um, you know, do those things in terms of how, how do you sound? What are you saying on the field? I mean, all of those things are involved in even good sportsmanship, Mm -hmm. you know? So we're covering all the bases of life. Um, right here in the Christian school, so that when they leave here, they should be able to go into life, whether that's marriage, um, parenting, um, the workforce, or athletics, or business government, wherever they go, they should already have, based upon what we do, they should have been exposed to the habits and the ways of developing good Christian character.
0: You know, one of the one of the ways I saw this story being lived out just recently, so we're, we're just finishing uh, our first round of athletics, and uh, one of the teams that we were working through, our volleyball team, went went to the final games and wow. final four, you know, just a phenomenal group. Congratulations. Girls, super talented, you know. But each and every – so so in our division, we play, we play private Christian schools, we play private schools, and we play public schools, you know. And so we play a little bit of everybody. Um, but our coach and their team, particularly the senior leaders on the team, made the determination that after every single game, win, lose, draw, whatever it's going to be, they're going to ask the other team if they would still if they would gather together and they would pray with them. Wow! And so even public schools where prayer isn't allowed, yeah, uh, some coaches are you know particularly after a loss are not you know overjoyed, uh, and yet they've made that commitment. And so every team except for one this entire season agreed to pray with them. And I will tell you that's what really sticks in your mind yeah. when you're watching these two teams who have been fighting like wild uh, for the W. But boy when they come together at the end and they're lifting up the Lord and we're and we're listening to the coach but we're listening to some of the kids praying it it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful application of what can take place in Christian school yeah. like just that idea that the 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 tool in our toolbox of bravery is a tool that has to be used over and over and over again you have to teach someone to be brave and so they're learning how to be brave in, in the public sector, you know, which is just gorgeous. You yeah. know, so I, I absolutely love this, you know, kind of this idea. Um, all right, so one of the big themes that we talk about on the show is the idea of calling, right? So we move past this idea of merely having vocational excellence, but we get to the point where where literally the Lord has a call upon our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that we are faithful ministers of Jesus Christ. We're just, you know, kind of disguised as a professor and as a head of school. Uh, and we've had a lot of different people from a lot of different fields who are practicing in medicine or law or whatever it might be, but they are faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And so was there a time, like how did you get into this specific calling? I know that you said that your consulting service came as a result of of the George Floyd situation and that whole kind of historical challenge for our nation. Um, but was there a particular incident? Was there a particular, like what got you into this? At what point in time was young Aaron saying, I'm going to be Dr. Aaron and I'm mm-hmm. going to take this message to the world?
1: Yeah, I... I'm not sure. I've always admired Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. and felt like I wanted to do something similar as what he did. Obviously not going down necessarily the same road of suffering that he had to travel and traverse, but I've always admired his call toward unity and love. I remember even after the, the riots of the L.A. riots of 1992 when I was graduating from high school and I was really angry at the time. And I often share this and in, in probably in the talk that I'll give to the kids about how the Lord really spoke to me when um, Rodney King was beat by, you know, the white cops. but Then Reg, Reginald Denny was beat by black people in L.A. for mm-hmm. no reason. He was an innocent guy just driving through an intersection right. that was pulled from his car and brutally beaten on camera. And, and in that moment, I feel like the Lord uh, showed me that, you know, Aaron, you're, the world has you fixated on who's wrong and who's right based upon skin color. But we're all wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to our hearts and the sinfulness of our hearts. And race, racism is simply a particularized expression of hatred, right? But right. Uh, we all got that hatred in us because in turn, when I saw these black guys uh, beat up Reginald Denny for no reason, it was like, wow, I can't just be mad at the time. You know, I'm thinking, well, white people are the problem. It's like, wait a minute. No, white people are not the problem. Um, sin is the sin problem. Sin is the problem. That's and, I, right. and, I saw, and we saw that, you know, live on television. In, in, in both cases, we saw those, those beatings live. And so I think during that time, I remember graduating high school and walking around in my yearbook and putting, you know, unity, a uh, uh, big and big capital letters on people's yearbooks saying, you know, cause my high school was super racially diverse. It was Persians. It was black people. It was white people. It was, um, uh, Asians, Hispanics, everybody was there, but yet we were divided because we all segregated into our own groups during right. lunchtime and recess and so forth. Um, and I remember in the yearbooks just saying, Hey, I, ha- I remember having this desire for unity and I even wanted to start a group, mm. Called unity at no the time, kidding. yeah, that was bringing us together, but I wasn't doing it at that time through a Christian lens. I was just, I just wanted to do like a secular group, like not an NAACP thing or mm-hmm, not a mm-hmm. this or that, but like a unity group, you know. And were you already a believer at that time? Yeah, I've been a believer okay. um, since I was probably like eight years old, okay. but I just didn't have the conceptual terminology uh, biblically that I have now mm-hmm. to understand. That, and I was at a public school at the time, too, so that, that would account for it. Like, I was around people that were Muslims and Jews and everything. So um, to be explicitly Christian probably wouldn't have worked. But I had this desire for that even back then. That's awesome. But um, fast forward, you know, went through school and did all that. But when I was taking the job at Franklin Road Academy as a diversity director, I remember talking to God. And I said, God, if you want me to take this role, you have to show me that diversity and unity are central to the gospel. mm mm-hmm because I don't want to go in here making an idol. You know how people can just Absolutely. make an idol out of things Absolutely. and it it be, just becomes this bell they're ringing and you're like, I don't hear mm-hmm. Jesus in that, but there's a thin veneer of Jesus on top of the mm-hmm. idol that people create, you mm-hmm. know? And they try to make it seem like it's Christian, right. but it's really not. Um, I said, I don't want to do that. I said, this has to be Lord at the core of the gospel. Otherwise, I don't want to take this mm-hmm. job. And then the Lord just kind of spoke to me. Not kind of, he did. He spoke to me and said, um, what you don't understand is the, the primary question that the new Testament was wrestling with outside of this question of the law and what do they do with the law was a racial and ethnic question (laughs) of what happens to the Gentiles. The Jews were struggling with their prejudice toward Gentiles. And now the Gentiles were now in the body of Christ and now they all have to go to the same church Mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out what do we do with this? And so you see Paul writing a lot about that. Now, of course the religious questions are embedded in there, but once you are able to go back and read the scripture through that lens, you see there's a lot of ethnic animosity that they're working through, cultural differences, grievances, and you come to see how the Lord's spirit is unifying them. And that's when I was like, oh, man, I got to get this message out because I had never seen that. Right. I grew up in a church that talked about race, and but I had never heard the Jew and Gentile distinction broken down as an ethnic conflict but once the lord spoke that to me i started to see it everywhere like other people right. have written on it that's right and other people have talked about it but at the time i didn't know that but um that's the message that the lord gave me and that's the message i've been preaching ever since
0: i'm teaching through the book of acts and one of the bible studies that i lead through and and i'm i'm really I'm, I'm on google keep taking notes on almost every single lesson where where i'm really viewing my my study through this the book this time and I've loved the Book of Acts. I've been a student of of, of that of that text for a long time, uh, but I'm seeing things in such a new way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're seeing almost every chapter is filled with really serious uh, decisions that were taking place. I, I've got my scripture open just to just to some things that I'm working on right now, but I'm taken with the idea when when Peter. Uh, who who really struggled uh, of, of the of the lead disciples? He may be the ones who who struggled the most. Right. Peter's a guy who always puts his foot in his mouth. So, right. it, it reminds may, me of myself. Yeah, me too, actually. Uh, you know, and maybe he wasn't struggling the most, but he was the most willing to to speak the first thing that yeah, came to his yeah. mind, which you know is a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, but there's this one episode at the end of chapter nine, which I've been particularly taken. It's the the very last verse of chapter nine, and Peter goes and stays with Simon the Tanner, mm-hmm. and that's all it says. But when you when you do the research on it, you realize that Simon the Tanner, if he's a Tanner, that means he's handling dead animals. When you look wow. at Levitical law, you can see what the purification process is and how him stepping over the threshold and staying with Simon the Tanner was something that he had to overcome the idea of strict Jewish rules. Hmm. He goes on from there to to go and meet with the Roman centurion, Cornelius, and you see the whole dream sequence of, you know, how God says, "How dare you mm-hmm. question the things that I've created?" Go and eat. Uh, he learns those lessons so that he can then stand before the council. And and in a really powerful section of scripture in chapter ten, where he he stands before the council and he says, "I have realized that God came, that Christ came for all men." Mm-hmm. And what's strange right is that that was a realization you can only understand that when you've gone through it yourself when you've recognized that this is truth right you know and and uh, that's what i love about how you present uh that you're presenting the bible as it applies to this truth and it's gorgeous you know um and now did you get that encouragement from your family as well growing up
1: um the encouragement to to pursue unity yeah Yeah, well, my dad, my dad had friends. He had, I remember he had a a white English friend when he was working for the Los Angeles Times as a graphic designer. So he always was very cosmopolitan in his approach. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, he took us to the museum growing up and we would just, we were always around in LA. We were kind of a cultured family in that sense. They would Mm -hmm. go to plays. And so he always had an appreciation. He had appreciation for black culture and black art and things of that nature. But he also had an appreciation for just art, um, White artists, European art—I mean, whoever—he didn't mm-hmm. draw any boundaries around what was good, true, and beautiful, and he exposed us to a lot. And I think due to that, he opened up, up you know, our worldview so that we weren't stuck on thinking that even though our church was predominantly mono, mono-racial or homogeneous, uh, and especially going to school, like I said, and they made sure that we didn't go to the schools in our neighborhood, but they wanted us bust out mm-hmm. to go to diverse schools, probably because right. the academics were higher. But I think they also wanted us exposed to more diversity because they know the world is diverse Mm -hmm. and we would have to learn how to be with people that were different from us, you know, racially. And so I think because of that, that kind of stirred in me just a love for diversity. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Palms Middle School coming out of my, I guess it was my public school, my elementary school. And I'm just like, wow, this is beautiful to just see Asians, Hispanics, white, white people, I mean, everybody, black people all together, you know, it just, it spoke of God's magnanimity and God's creativity, mm-hmm. his power, his omnipotence, um, how God is a creative God. You know, right. even in God, there's diversity with God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And so to limit God to any one ethnicity or race, it, 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 it almost, you're trying to put God in a box, you know, That's right. and God has made ethnicities and languages all over the world. And so it just always points me back to him. So that was, since I've been a child, I've loved diversity in all its forms, So, speak- except for the sinful God. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, right. Absolutely. I, you know, the sexual stuff, I don't right. I don't uh, endorse that. So right. I I, just, I have to give that right. caveat. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> right. have to now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir.
0: How are you translating these same lessons? You have two two children. Yes, sir. Uh beautiful bride of twenty five years. Yes, so you ma'am. guys yeah. have you guys already f- checked off twenty five no, years? No, or no, you're coming February, up on twenty five. All right, coming up real okay, yeah. good, good. So Mimi, what you know, bride of twenty-five years and then two kids. How are you translating those messages to your kids too? Like what what's the intentionality? Mm-hmm. What does that look like just for the parents listening? Uh, so that they can kind of catch some lessons from that as well.
1: Yeah, well, my kids now are, are grown, so they're out of the house. But when they were, um, when my son is in California, um, serving as like an airline executive, kind of, kind of like a char- charter airline broker, broker. But he's coming back home actually. So there you go. And he hey, wants to own his own airline. Right, he does. He wants yes, to own his own airline. Yeah, I do love that. Um, but then my daughter is graduating from Vanderbilt this year. But I, I think we put them in when we came to Nashville we put my son in the Montgomery Bell uh, Academy, which was uh, uh, one of the top high schools in Nashville, but also champions diversity. And I think he was, uh, his best friends now are white. Mm-hmm. Most of his best friends, because he was just in an environment where he just hung out with everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't really allow race to be the predominant okay. factor in how yeah. he makes informed relationships. Right. Because of the Kind of education that he had, and he went on to Auburn. And daughter, my, my daughter had the same experience. She went to St. Cecilia, a Catholic school, and there she was in the minority. But she was—it was all about what they were teaching. They were teaching virtue. They were teaching um, how to raise these young women up to follow Jesus and to, you know, do the right thing and think in a way that would honor God. But in that. That community was was diverse and she was exposed to so many different personalities, so many people of different socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds that even now she's continuing those friendships. So she still has friendships, close friendships with the people she went to school with, right? right? And so she has friends with black girls, white girls, Asian. I mean, she's got friends with, she's friends with everybody. So I think it's intentionally putting them in environments. Then we went to a church that was uh, we intentionally put them in churches that were diverse as well. When I say diverse, I mean, it may have been 80% white, but they had significant, sure. you know, right. uh, and they were in a youth group where they were exposed to diversity. So I think it's just being intentional about putting your children in um, environments where they're exposed to diversity and then just having the conversations, obviously, you know, around the dinner table about things that are going on in current events and making sure that when things happen, that we're not viewing we're not creating opponents and we're not valorizing one side versus another in terms mm-hmm. of race that we are not seeing the world as this person is good. These people are bad because of their racial backgrounds, but that we're continuing to put a gospel lens mm-hmm. and see through a gospel lens regarding everything that's happening in the world. And so that's right. what we try to do in the house.
0: Just underscoring those lessons with, with a truth that can't be shaken and a truth that can't be, question because it's God's it's God's word you know um all right so what is next for you do you have any big plans uh I keep waiting for some books to 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 be published I I, know right I've so enjoyed like I love the fact that you were so bold that you you know you did you did your series but then you even put them on YouTube which I thought was dynamite right it was so courageous of you to do that uh you know let me just say to anyone who's thinking about booking you he's better in person so you gotta (laughs) you gotta book you gotta book him in person appreciate it uh what do you have planned do you, are you are you working on any things like that I'm always intrigued yeah
1: well um actually because you know I'm, I have to get tenure at Lipscomb so we're actually going to start putting my dissertation into a book but the dissertation is not on what I'm talking about now it's more on um, this this idea in in the uh, in the academy there's something called black liberation theology okay. that um, that a lot of people think of as what the black church was practicing that they were all about liberation and I'm contesting that I'm saying you know, the black church was active uh, in in overturning slavery and things like that, but it was through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the mm-hmm. word of God. They were very conservative sexually. They okay. were very conservative in terms of their beliefs in the word. Right. And what you find with black liberation theology is not that. It's extremely liberal. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important theological liberalism is basically saying we don't have to take the truth of God's word seriously. Right. And basically it's, it's making the world out into oppressors and oppressed. And, you know, and I'm not a victim. I don't go around saying I'm oppressed. You know, God has freed me. And so if I, who, he, whom the son says free is free indeed. Right. That's but, right. but I'm doing, so I'm, I'm turning my dissertation into a book because academically you got to publish. So I'm doing that. But then, um, yeah, this, the series that I've been talking about in Christian schools across the nation, you know, I've gone from California all the way to New York and everywhere in between, not everywhere, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm saying that just metaphorically, but, um, the book I want to publish is, you know, the Christian Guide to Diversity, Unity, and Belonging. Mm. So I need to get on that. But I, I just became worship pastor of my church. So I'm, did I'm, you really? Yeah. So I'm like you needed right. You know what there. I mean? That's Holy what I'm saying. Folks. So so I gotta find the time to just be dedicated to the writing because there's so much going on that wow. um, I just had to focus. But yeah, we're gonna turn that into a book, and I believe it's gonna bless the body of Christ because it will be one of the very few books that give you the theoretical and theological foundation for this work but also take you to what it looks like in practice. That's what people yeah, that's aren't doing right. in the Christian. That's right. In the Christian sphere. That's so right. what people are left with is DEI edu- uh, training, which doesn't work. I mean, we've right. seen the data and the data is out and it does not work, you know, right. because it's not, it's, you can't develop unity when there is nothing to develop unity around. Mm-hmm. You can't just develop unity around right. the idea of tolerance. That's I right. mean, there has tolerance. to be a truth that's fixed. Yeah. Cause to you're, you're tolerating to everything. everything. It's like, okay, that's so right. now, now that we tolerate everything now, what, um, and everybody runs into their affinity groups, and they're they're really just separate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's not true unity. That's right. Um, so I so I need to get the book done. And but yeah, thank you for encouraging me. So hopefully, if we have this conversation next year, that's right, uh, the draft will be done. I'll be if one not of the first ones on your pre-purchase list. Let's go. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, I love
0: it, Aaron. Listen, it's been such a privilege. Hey, you, you've just in your few times that you've been here on our campus, you've made a huge impact on our staff, on our students. Appreciate it. Really, by placing this subject right at the forefront, it's something that we discuss a lot as a group here. Uh, it's something that's near and dear to my heart as well. And, uh, so I'm, man, I'm just thrilled to have you here and thank you so much for being on the show today. You know,
1: appreciate you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you for having me and thank you for, you know, foregrounding this. Thank you. A lot of schools are not having this conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You, you probably know that, or maybe you don't know that, but yeah, many schools are trying to avoid the conversation and we don't, we don't become more unified in Jesus by no. not talking about the things that that are on his heart. And this is on his heart. That's right. John 17 says, um, you know, he's given us his glory to be one, even as he and the father are one. That's right. So we've, we've got to work to make this happen. So I appreciate and you, thank you so for much. valuing this. Yep. Thank you, brother. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the joy of leadership podcast. Living in the center of God's will is a rare blessing in today's day and age. Help us share this vital story of passionate leadership. If you would like to comment on the show, or if you know someone who would be a perfect guest, Contact us at thejoyofleadership at gmail.com. If you like the show and don't want to miss a single episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.